Welcome to Life of the School, episode 20. Hello, my name is Aaron Matthew, and I'm a biology teacher from Acton Boxborough Regional High School in Acton, Massachusetts. Each episode on Life at the School, I like to sit down with a fellow life science teacher and ask them how they got in the classroom, what they're currently working on, and what they're looking forward to in the future. This episode, I sit down with Orla Berry. Orla is a science teacher and content specialist at Medfield High School in Medfield, Massachusetts. Over her more than two decades as a teacher, Orla has taught AP Biology as well as all levels of first-year biology, first-year chemistry, and anatomy and physiology. She has also been an advisor to her school's Science Olympiad team. Outside of the classroom, Orla has served as an integral part of the Massachusetts Association for Biology Teachers, currently serving as the organization's secretary. Orla earned her B.S., uh, from the National University of Ireland, Galloway, and her Master's of Education from UMass Boston. Welcome, Orla. Thank you for having me. So, yeah, I, I saw you at the MABT conference uh, just a couple weeks ago and um, and said, I want to interview you. <laughs> oh, well, thanks. I'm, I'm getting a little intimidated when I see who you interviewed already. But <laughs> <laughs> well, but, you know, this is great for me because, you know, we ran into each other. I, wanted, I was thinking back. I think the first conference we or workshop we ever did together was probably the first BioBuilder workshop I did, which would have been, what, six or seven years ago now. And was it that long ago? I, it was at least six years ago. Yeah, and we were sitting there. I probably have a bag with the the number or the the year on it because uh, Natalie likes to give out those bags. Um, and I was thinking that about sitting out there in the courtyard, um, you know, talking, uh, uh, you know, after you know we were eating our little box lunches and talking about various things and hearing about all the various things that you were doing um, in your school. Um, and just remember that, like, oh, you want to get, continue those conversations. It's those type of con uh, conversations that got me sort of started on this podcast of wanting to have those sort of workshop conversations um, all the time. So I'm glad that you could join me. And it's funny, I was thinking about it, the same thing today. And I was remembering, I think I had joined Twitter before then, as in I had set up an account, but you were showing me your Twitter feed. And I'm like, oh, so that's how people use it. <laughs> and of course, now I do. But really, I lapsed for a couple of years and then got back into it. Yeah. Yeah, and I I did as well. I, I use my Twitter feed very differently now than I did back then. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 We all yeah. do it a little differently. All right. So let's get into the first question. I want to find out how did you become a science teacher? What led you into the classroom? Well, um, actually, I never planned on being a science teacher ever. I didn't even honestly like science in high school, which is sort of ironic now as a department chair. Um, no, science at the time for me was very boring, very, you know, bored, learning off by heart kind of thing. And um, honestly, I only did science in college because back in the day in Ireland, if you, you know, didn't get into medicine, the next thing was you did science. And I ended up in science. Um, I liked it well enough in high school, but not not enough to say that I was interested in pursuing it. But I did. And then after doing my science degree, friends were doing education. And that gave me another year in college because that's how I worked at the time in Ireland. So I said, why not? And um, again, particularly interested in, I can't say I loved school. Um, but when I got in there, I liked teaching. And I had taught kids swimming um I worked at a swimming pool for years and I taught kids um, swimming and I liked that. I have to say, I liked that. So then I became a science teacher. You, you sort of mentioned um, the, you know, not enjoying science and it was sort of the, a lot of sort of dull facts um, when I first asked you about it, like a lot of rote memorization. Oh yeah. So I, I guess that, you know, that's a, a theme that has come up a lot when I've talked to other people about, you know, science and sort of how is it the stuff that we do today is different than the way we were taught? Oh, it's so, I mean, well, I'm really dating myself now when I say there were, there were chalkboards in my day. And, um, but I think it's just a whole different approach. It's the whole idea of now of kids doing science, kids 
I mean, yeah, there's definitely content. Don't get me wrong. There's certainly, you know, a certain degree of, you know, you want them to know some information, but it's much more about them working things out, trying things, failing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, then the iterations where they try again and see, or if you don't have time, uh, why that didn't work and what I could potentially do to make it different next time. Yeah, it's it's definitely that idea that we we started where um, you know science was taught as a book of facts and not so much as a process. Absolutely, it's funny. We had um, a digital learning day in midfield recently, and Justin Wright from MIT was uh, one of the keynote speakers, and he was talking about um, you know education and where it's going. But he was talking about STEAM, and he put science and math obviously at the two ends of you know the acronym and um, he said that, you know, science and math in some ways still are the collection of facts, but that engineering is the process, you know, that utilizes those facts. I wasn't thrilled about that <laughs> statement, but I understand what he was, I understand, understood what he was trying to say. And I have to say, that's one of the things I like about the rewrite of AP Bio and the rewrite of the new standards, because I think that's what it is bringing in. It is bringing that sort of engineering, that design process, that design thinking into the curriculum that we didn't have before. Yeah, and it's funny. I was mentioning that you know we first met at one of those biobuilder workshops, and um, honestly, before we went through those, through those biobuilder workshops, I literally just thought they put the e in in STEM to make a word. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I I didn't know anything about engineering. I mean, I couldn't have told you fact one about engineering. Um, well, I only knew a bit about engineering because my husband's an engineer. Um, <laughs> But the BioBuilder workshops, I mean, I loved that course, but definitely I, it was a challenge for me. You know, it was definitely that course was, I felt a little out of my depth in that course. I loved it, but I was definitely a little out of my depth. Oh, oh, me too. And I, I went that first year, I said, I went that first year and I heard all that stuff. And then I went back to school and I was like, I don't know what to do with this. Um, but, but then we got, you know, I was, I was able to go back a couple of other times and it was, you know, being able to be uncomfortable and go back a few different times that, you know, I feel like now that I've been working with, you know, some of those resources for, oh God, you know, as we said, several years, I now I'm starting to figure out what it is I don't know, um, which is, I think it was a good sign. Right. <laughs> but I think you brought up a good point, you know, the getting used to being uncomfortable with things. Um, I mean, I definitely spent a week uncomfortable that summer. There's no doubt about it. But I think it was good for me because I think it gives you a chance to, you know, sort of, a, a, you know, a day in the life of or walk in the shoes of, you know, your students and how uncomfortable they might be every day. Yeah. Yeah. I was I was just having a conversation. So uh, I was saying this is our, our April episode and our, my last episode um, was with a couple of people who were presenting at STA. And, you know, when I asked them what it was like, um, you know, one of one of the guests, uh, Paul Strode, specifically said, you know, standing up in front of your peers and, you know, talking about it and being nervous as heck uh, was his phrasing. And I was like, yeah, that's what we ask our kids to do all the time when we do presentations. Um, so when we get up and do presentations at conferences and workshops and present our material, it's good. I think it's the same way for us to go to a workshop and, and be pushed out of our comfort zone just a little bit um, to get that, you know, as you said, uh, a sense of what the kids are feeling on a day-to-day -day basis um, in some classes. I'm um, taking um, an SEI class, you know, for the um, DLL class, for the SEI endorsement. Mm -hmm. And uh, yesterday I was number three in the group and all the number threes were asked to stand up. But somehow I missed the instructions as to what the number threes were supposed to do. And um, as people are going through and saying their little piece, I realized that what I thought I had to do was completely different from what everybody else was actually doing. And um, so when they got to me, I just said, well, I actually don't have anything to add. Um, so I totally felt <laughs> like to fail and be a student who was failing at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the, that, those are the uh, sheltered English immersion classes for those who um, are not in Massachusetts or in, not in a state who have done it. Cause I know some people in Arizona have, have done that. I did my SEI class uh, last year, uh, beginning of last year. So uh, you see, I had the joy of doing the admin version of the class two years ago. Mm -hmm. And we taught at the time that would cover us for our, um, of our day turns out not so much so we're back again doing it again which is fine yeah know, it's all good well the funny thing for that class for me is i found you know um i teach um 
I teach other at-risk students. You know, I teach an alternative program, and I found that uh, the lessons for work- working with English language learners are very much the same as working with um, students who have like disrupted education or other at-risk groups. There was a huge overlap. Uh, maybe I shouldn't say it's just the same, but there's a huge a- overlap in skills and techniques that I've been able to apply to to some other students who we describe sort of as as vulnerable. Um, so for me, you know, it was a good, you know. Mandated methods classes may not be people's favorite things, but uh, I was able to get a lot of good out of it. No, I totally agree. I mean, the instructional strategies are, I mean, honestly, they're good teaching practices anyway. And certainly for any kind of kids who are at risk, they're great teaching practices. Yeah. 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 So um, I mentioned a few minutes ago about, uh, you know, going to conferences and how we ran into each other at Massachusetts Association of Biology Teachers uh, meeting. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, I pick on uh, the president uh, almost daily um, because yeah. <laughs> we share a classroom. Uh, but uh, I was kind of curious how you ended up becoming associated uh, with the Massachusetts Association of Biology Teachers. So the funny thing is, years and years and years ago, like I seriously don't remember how long ago, it could be, well, it was back when I was teaching at Mount Alvernia, so somewhere between 87 and 97, I'm going to say before kids, so before 94, maybe, I went to a meeting with Sue um, was there and Paul were there and um, Sue Platty mm-hmm. and um it was a meeting at Dave was still working at Minimum Tech and they were trying to create um, a sort of state group and, you know, an offshoot of NABT. And I went and I said in my own mind kind of left and said, this is great, but I don't have time. So maybe my kids were small. I'm not even sure. Mm -hmm. Um, And then somehow I, you know, I didn't do much and I started then I'd say, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago. I don't even know for sure going to the conferences, the local conferences and of course, you know, the second you mentioned to Paul that you might be interested in volunteering, you were roped in and that was it. And then I became a board member along the way. And here we are. <laughs> yeah. And so for me, I, I have you as just like a fixture. You're just one of the one of the people you see uh, when, right. you, when you go to MABT events or, or that sort of thing. Because, um, as I said, you know, Brian Dempsey, who I work with, um, is, you know, he's the president um, and I go and see him, you know, all the time. Um so I'm really, uh, you know, I'm curious sort of about the evolution because I feel like right now it's very, it's an interesting group, but it's, it's, a, it's a really small group. I, I'm curious what your, what your thoughts are, like sort of the state of MABT, you know, where is it, you know, where, where might it go and what are, you know, what do you think is going to happen with MABT over the next few years? How do we, how do we take the Massachusetts organization and, and make it, you know, uh, a bigger, stronger teaching association, I guess? Yeah, I mean... I have to say, I agree with you. It's certainly a small, small, very small group, um, dedicated, but definitely limited in size. Um, I'm not sure teachers understand the importance of conferences and the understand, you know, understand the importance of the conversations. I mean, you know, because you go to so many conferences, it's the conversations you have are almost as worthwhile as the workshop you go to and the connections you make and the people you meet, you know, that then next time you have an issue, you can say, hey, I could email Aaron and ask him or I can email Brian and ask him or, you know, some such. To my mind, that's where I do the most learning at conferences. And it's to explain, like I see with all my young teachers, they don't really see the significance of conferences the same way I do. I like that personal contact. I like that communication. I think a lot of them feel anything they need, they can get from other venues. I mean, and there's no doubt about it on on a certain level, everything is available on the web. You know, you can find everything else. Um, I just think it's that personal conversation and that personal touch. So where are we going? I mean, I hope we're expanding. Brian has a few new people he's hoping to bring in. Um, I know John Bannister Marks is going to um, join us, I think, our next meeting. And there was one or two others that Brian mentioned, I think, who had expressed an interest at our recent meeting. Um, We need to do something pretty darn quickly because Laureen is going um, in another year when she retires. So we definitely need to get some people involved. Margaret is talking about um, hosting a regional conference. I think that might be a great source of, you know, new participants, new active participants, I should say, or new active members. Yeah.
I, I get so much out of the, the conferences. I, you know, I, I pick on it a little bit. Um, and I'm also just as guilty because I'm not the one going to the meetings and doing the organizing or, or contacting. Uh, so I'm, I am not constructively helping in any way, shape, and form uh, other than uh, shaming Brian, which I feel is the way I am constructively helping Brian every day. Um, but the, in, in, tru- in truth, it, you know, it is, it is one of those things where I, uh, and you'll see in my pick of the week, you know, my pick of the week is right out of the MABT conference. Um, uh, and it, I feel like I got so many good ideas and so many good thoughts. Um, I really would like to see, you know, a larger piece um, out of it. As you were speaking, I was I was thinking a little bit about sort of the parochial nature of New Englanders. Um, <laughs> you know, yeah. we we like to go into our schools and we think our world is our school. And I think that is a little bit ingrained culturally um, in some of the cities and towns where we live. And I wonder if that sort of hurts us. Um, trying to build these social organizations. Oh, I totally agree with you. I think um, we are very insular. Um, it's funny, we, I, we've been talking about this in global awareness just recently at our school, and somebody made the comment yesterday, actually it was our SEI instructor who said, you know, as Americans, typically we don't travel enough. And I don't think she was necessarily talking about outside the country as much, uh, you know, she was talking about that. But I also think, it, you know, traveling to other towns, seeing what people are doing, traveling to conferences, traveling outside your region, going to national conferences. Um, I mean, I, I've even noticed like sometimes when I want people to go to a national conference that's local, you know, I sort of have to work uh, to say, are you sure you really should go? This is great. The school system's paying. Think of the opportunities, you know. Um, I'm not sure people quite realize the opportunities and the connections that you can make, you know, and the the sort of the pluses that come from that. Yeah, I, I also, you know, I, I see some of the same issues sort of in my school. And when we, you know, we just had, we've had a couple of conferences just the last few years between, you know, NSTA that was in Boston recently um, and NABT down in Providence. Um, it did it did sometimes feel like we were twisting arms <laughs> to get people to like get excited about these conferences. Like, you know. Because I couldn't wait to get to NABT in Providence. I mean, it was awesome. You know, and NSTA in Boston. I mean, there were, to have your national conference on your, at your doorstep, it's like, sign me up, I am going. Um, but not everybody sees the value. And, I, I, you know, I've tried at school and I, I, I don't know, to be honest, I don't know what's missing or what I'm not sort of relaying to people or conveying to people that would change their minds. I think part of it is, you know, on the one hand, we think with MABT that because we have it on a Saturday, it's a drawback. But on the other hand, I see people at school who say, oh, but a day off, the sub plans, they take so long, mm-hmm. and then everything's a mess when I come back. And so, you know, I think that it's a double-edged sword. I think, you know, you whether it's the weekend or the weekday, I think there's always going to be people who find a reason not to participate. <laughs> well, I, I completely agree with you. I think you that know? it's is definitely yeah. a case where you will get... I, I I think it really wouldn't matter. I think if you held it on a, a Wednesday or a Saturday, I think the same like 25 people are going to be there. Um, I agree. <laughs> I mean, it's the lifelong learners are going to be the people who give up their Saturday to do things like that. The people, and I don't mean lifelong learners. I don't mean sort of like to coin a, you know, a phrase or a term, but, you know, the people who are interested, um, people who want to learn. Yeah. You know, I, the people who sort of say, oh, that's a topic I'm interested in. I'd like to learn a bit more. Yeah, and I do think that there is definitely a um, there's a little bit of a cycle that you if you if you get into that cycle early. And I was I was fairly fairly fortunate that um, you know I went to my first conference, the national conference was NSTA in '99, um, and I was already a member of NSTA, and it came and it was a really good good piece to go out there. And then honestly, I I started teaching and got really bogged down, and yes, had some little kids and didn't really think too much of it. Um, and when NSTA came back in 07, I was asked to be on a panel um, at that. And I don't know if I would have gone to that conference if I hadn't been asked to be on that panel. Um, so I got roped in. And then it became, I realized how much I got out of that conference. And so then a couple of years later, um, I had an opportunity again to go. And so I went to another conference. And I think being, you know, ingrained a little bit and then nudged a little bit earlier in my career were really instrumental in getting me to engage in those type of conferences. No, absolutely. When I taught at Mount Alvernia, I there was this amazing English teacher there, Kathy Kent. She subsequently became the principal after I left. 
but she was really interested in developing interdisciplinary units between um, biology and English or science in general. Um, but because I was the biology person kind of thing and we were friendly. Um, so we developed like a unit on flu, another one on TB, another one on smallpox, uh, bubonic plague, you know, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And um, so she roped me in, same thing. She was the one who got us to present at MAST. I think uh, we presented at um, MASS, the Science Supervisors mm -hmm. Association. And uh, I have forgotten, to be honest, but a bunch of other sort of, we'll say, small statewide um groups that we presented at and i think i think you're absolutely right i don't know that i'd have we'll say had the same interest in conferences if she hadn't sort of pushed me into presenting at them at them back in the day and then i realized the value of the conferences so now i'm now i'm a convert <laughs> or have been for a long time yeah so i think that now it's our job to take young teachers we know and browbeat them into going to conferences um yeah. <laughs> uh, and no, i do I did, and I, you're right when yeah. NSTA came, I pretty much got a grant from our local group in Medfield and said to all the teachers, you're all going for a day. <laughs> and yeah, I don't care. You're going. This is a good experience. You'll learn. You'll be exposed to things. Some of them learned more than others. Some got confused and thought they should spend the day in the exhibit hall. But hey, it was a learning experience. So we'll go with that. In their defense, they could have they could have just gotten lost in the exhibit hall um, because it is a little overwhelming at NSTA. <laughs> to get up uh, you can get that is true. and some of these kids were like first year teachers and they you know had no idea i mean they didn't know what they didn't know and i to be fair to them i don't know that i prepared them properly at all yeah yeah you know i, I was just talking about that with i i have uh as i said this is going to come out after nsta but i just spent i lost an hour and a half the other night just going through and starting pulling up sessions i might be interested in and um i've got like oh you know three and four things at the same exact time and i've now got to figure out the mapping and how close they are and that sort of thing it does take a degree of planning and coordination that if you're not aware you want to do that um it, it can be a lot <laughs> yeah no that's true and especially if you're just spending a day and i had most of them just going there for different days kind of thing yeah um yeah it's just it is overwhelming no doubt about it so, so sort of along that line, and as I said, you know, we sort of we sort of ran into each other at a our first at a at a summer workshop, and I've just started spending my time the last couple of weeks thinking about how I want to spend my summer time, sort of fitting into that lifelong learner. Um, I, I'm kind of curious. Uh, you know, I run into you. Um, I run into several of the same people who I saw uh, at that conference um, this past. Uh, summer when I went to a workshop at MIT, um, David Forum was sitting right next to me, and uh, Andy from Newton was uh, at the end of the table, <laughs> and uh, so it was a lot of the same people. I was, I was curious, how do you figure out your your PD for the summer? This seems to be about the time of year where people are starting to get those the, those notifications and are starting to schedule those. How do you go about doing that and helping your your uh, teachers in your school find different professional development? I mean, sometimes, to be honest, it's just personal interest and that varies, you know, year to year kind of thing. You know, what I'm what my sort of new thing that I'm interested in or that I want to bring in either into my own classroom or something I want to bring into the department. Um, sometimes it's word of mouth. Somebody will tell me about a great class. Oh, you should try this. The teacher was great. We learned a lot. We picked up this. And then sometimes it's as simple as I need. I need this class, so I'll take this class. Right now in Medfield, um, we have a, a great situation insofar as um, the school system designates some funds for what we call our summer R&D. So with the new um, SDE stand frameworks here in Massachusetts, um, we're spending a lot of time um, shifting our focus, um, especially at grades six through eight, because up until now we were what they call the layer cake model, you know, where you had well, it was integrated science, let's say, in, in sixth grade, but then you had life science in, eight, in seventh grade and you had physical science in eighth grade. Well, we've sort of thrown that out and we're following the new DESI model and we're going to be integrated in all three grades. Oh. So the teachers will teach earth and space, um, they'll teach life and they'll teach physical science every year. So that's a little paradigm shift to put in mildly um, and, you know, has rocked some people's worlds and... Um, so last year we had three sixth grade teachers last summer had between the three of them, I think about 90 hours of PD, um, which for us is summer R&D where they get paid um, above and beyond their salary. We'll say, I think it's like $35 an hour or something like that. Um, and they 
could spend that time then working on developing the new standards and you know really it was a case of they were um they were breaking down the standards what do they mean what don't they mean what do they mean for them particularly as sixth grade science teachers and how is it going to sort of virtually articulate through seventh and eighth grade so this summer my focus will be then on seventh and eighth grade um because uh sixth grade implemented this year it's been an interesting year but um seventh grade will implement fully next year and eighth grade will partially implement next year and then partially implement the following year so having that summer pd and i know i sort of went off track with this but um having that summer pd or that summer research and development time is pretty wonderful to be honest i mean it, yeah. it's it's an awesome opportunity for teachers to be able to sit not feel pressured but to sit and talk and like last year i had one of the physics teachers in the high school come and work with the sixth grade teachers this year with seventh grade i'll probably do the same thing i can work with them for the biology and the chemistry but physics is where i draw my line <laughs> and um you know i understand and know a very limited amount of physics and i really wouldn't be able to help them unpack the standards not truly understand what the standards are trying to get at and you know it's also process driven now that um and inquiry driven and it's what the kids can do and the skills that they're taking away but yet it's hard for teachers to do that if they don't really understand the content you know so yeah. having that summer r&d is going to be hugely helpful for us yeah i i've been taking um i took a class this past winter um that was it was ngss focused but very applicable to what we're working on for our new standards which are based off of that um and i was i was actually just having a conversation with a colleague um this morning where we were talking about um you know some of our standards and what i learned during this time you know for years i've been writing content standards and but trying to figure out what the 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 skills that we wanted them to do that's how it would be the language you would use science skills and this class that I took, I realized that, no, you're supposed to write them together. It should be, they should be what, you know, they now call performance expectations, where the skill that you expect to be demonstrated and the content should be in a single statement so that the kid knows exactly how they're supposed to demonstrate an understanding of the con content and what they're supposed to apply the skill to. It was like mind blowing that I took that. No, I totally get that. I mean, in essence, I think what they're doing to the standards is what happened to RAP, uh -huh. you know, two years. I mean, it was that huge shift away from learn off by heart, learn off by heart, that rote memorization that was always associated with biology. And now, I mean, I remember the first year the kids came out of the exam and they looked to me and they said, we really didn't need to know any biology. <laughs> and it wasn't, I mean, that isn't true, of course, but I understood their point. Their point was, it wasn't about the biology. It was about what they took away from the class and what they could do with what they learned. Yeah. How, they, know, could, and, how they could apply. And I love that. Yeah. Um, I mean, sometimes I feel a little out of my depth, you know, and there's definitely sometimes when I wonder, do, do I even have the skill set? I've never been a scientist. I've never worked in a lab, you know, um, apart from within college and that kind of stuff. Um, so there's definitely times when I wonder, am I, you know, should it almost be a requirement now of every science teacher that they have to spend a semester in a lab before they actually go into a classroom or a semester maybe interning under somebody, you know, to get a, a better sense of what it is that, I don't know, but this is in quotation marks that you can't see, you know, what it is that a, a real scientist does, yeah. um, you know, and, and there's definitely that element. And I, I would bet I'm not alone insofar as I bet there's lots of people my age who feel the same way. Well, and you know, I, I, uh, not to, not to make, you know, an age comparison, but, um, I, I spent a lot of time in a lab in, uh, in the nineties, uh, when I was in college and I would, I would, none of the stuff I did in those labs is applicable now. Um, if you were to ask the same questions I was working on a lab, um, back then, and I've said this many, many times, I would have used none of the same materials and methods, and the technology that I would use to address those questions um, didn't exist when I was back in college. Or if it existed, it was, you know, ivory tower, very few people used it. Um, so, I, I, you know, uh, selfishly, I was thinking, no, no, they need to pay us to get us retrained. Um, <laughs> give me lab bench time. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, I know Brian, remember he spent a summer with um, Margaret's husband out at Clark University? Yeah. I think that's where he spent the summer, didn't he? Yeah. yeah. Um, I, 
I'd have I have to say there's a little piece of me that says I really should do that, but there's another little piece of me that says, yeah, I don't want to give up my whole summer, <laughs> which I know is terrible. But um, so if I could do it part time or half the summer, I. But then there's the other piece of me that says, yeah, but what if you go into the lab and you have absolutely no idea how foolish are you going to feel? Um, but I, I really do think it's a skill or it's a, it's an experience that all of us should have. And to your point, we, you need to have it sort of regularly where we can actually interact with, you know, the new practices and the new methodologies and the new technologies that are being utilized. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. I, I was very fortunate that I got to do that um, a couple of years ago. Um, and without, without having the ability to go do that a couple of years ago, um, I probably wouldn't have made some of the advances I've made in my class the last couple of year, uh, years. I was able to sit down and, you know, both work on curriculum, but also, uh, you know, learn how to do some new things. Um, and it was great. And even, you know, I, I say, say that back from the, you know, going and doing the BioBuilder. I remember in the middle of that year after doing the BioBuilder, I got a question about, you know, how to do PCR or how some aspect of PCR was. And while I knew sort of the rote protocol or I could read it, I had never done PCR before that yeah, time. Okay. Um, and so I, I remember emailing Natalie and say, okay, these are stupid questions, but I, I knew her and I knew that I could trust her to answer me in a way that wouldn't make me feel dumber than I already was for, for asking. Um, and I was able to engage in questions and that actually was a huge step forward for me to then figure out how to do PCR and what it, you know, and how to work it out. So now PCR is something we do in my school every year. Um, but wouldn't have, if I hadn't, yeah, if I hadn't had that chance at MIT a few years ago. Yeah, and I think, you know, I think to your point too, part of it is, um, and this sort of goes back to what we were saying about conventions and stuff. Uh, I think you're very fortunate that there's more than one AP bio teacher for you, mm -hmm. you know, that you have somebody to talk to. Like I, I often feel very isolated and say, wouldn't it be lovely if I had somebody that we could work things out together? I like doing things with other people, you know, and I like that kind of collaboration. Um, and sometimes you sort of put things off. You say, oh, I'll get to it. But if it's somebody else there pushing you or you'd arrange it, on Tuesday at three, we are going to sit and start this. And every Tuesday at three or whatever, you know, we're going to work on this. I think that kind of pushes you places that you might not have, you know, gone otherwise. Well, be careful what you wish for, because you could get me and Brian to talk to you on a regular basis. Um, and I think we, we would drive you batty. Um, but yeah, no, you... Yeah, you, you know where we are. You ever have a question, you ever want to see anything, everything's open, you know that, so... Okay. I'll take you up on that one of these days. Yeah. Yeah. I'll show you my new transpiration lab that I'm testing. Well, I'll find out if it works tomorrow when I go in and see if it worked. Um, but well, my kids are just doing their own little inquiry. Uh, we did, we're doing the whole plant method. We set it up today. We've lots of fans running, lots of all, all sorts of things running. We have a plant in an incubator right now. So <laughs> we will see how things go. So, you know, it's all good stuff. Yeah, I'm trying. A, I'm trying a single leaf uh, method where I've taken a single leaf and I've put it in a um, a test tube, um, and I set the water level. It's a graduated um, tube, one of those Falcon tubes. Um, and what I did oh, yeah. is I floated a layer of oil on the top of it. So I have a control oh. tube, which is just water filled up to 10 mils with a half a mil of oil on top. And then I did the same thing with um, two. Uh, leaves just to sort of see what kind of variation you get in a couple of these. Um, and I saw that as a demo somebody had set up and posted online. I was like, I wonder how that works. I wonder what the transpiration rate is. And that's, uh, I think we're using like Pachysandra leaves. So it's like super, like, you know, we, oh, got, a, that's easy. we got a million. So I'll have, to, I'll have to fill you in and let you know if that works. Um, because if that oh, works, definitely. it's going to be, it'll be worlds better. I think we'll go to the whole plant if that doesn't work. Um, we'll go to like a greenhouse and... Pick some leave stuff. for years and try and set up the photometer and the whole nine yards and oh god it was never successful yeah and then i switched the whole plant and i'm like this is great <laughs> yeah right like I, I i when i said that to brian brian's like well we can always get the tubes out and i'm like no we're not getting the tubes out i'm not getting the tubes out <laughs> in the vast lane forget i'm never doing that again i don't I hate i hate that oh, setup <laughs> so i'm I, so with you there are always leaks it yeah. never quite works yeah Whole yeah. plant mass before mass after. How simple can you guess? Yeah. Well, I'll be. I'll be. Uh, when this. When the thing. When my thing fails, I'll. Uh, I'll email you if. Uh, if mine fails, I'll. I'll, yeah, I'll ask yeah. for your whole plant protocol. <laughs> exactly. <laughs>
All right. So uh, as we move forward, um, I guess my, my next question for you is like, what what are you looking forward to? Um, I got to say, you know, we, before we started recording, I was picking on you because, um, you know, as I said, you do have a decade on me. And I think that that's about fair because I, 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 every, I'm always telling people how old I am and they're always telling me, no, you're not that old. Um, but I looked at your picture. I was like, there is no way she started teaching in 1984 uh, <laughs> at 20, but still. <laughs> I was a child prodigy. No, I wasn't. <laughs> I was child number six of seven. And when you're child number six of seven, you get sent to school early. So I started elementary school at three. So therefore, I finished high school at 16 and started college at 16 and out at 20. And there you go. But still, it you... was actually funny when I first started teaching. I mean, that was funny teaching 18 year olds and I was 20, you yeah. know, so but hey. <laughs> But still, I, 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 I have my doubts. I, I almost want to see some paperwork. Um, uh. no, I seriously am. Thank you. I'll take that as a compliment. But uh, no, I am. I'm afraid 53. Boy, am I feeling it. <laughs> so, so how many, I mean, you, you just have a few years left to, ahead of you in the classroom. What are you looking forward to in the, in the next few years as you look forward in your classroom? You know, I love the way things have changed. I mean, I think we're in a period of huge change like really rapid change in the classroom whether it's science classroom or any classroom um i think part of that is the integration of technology but i think part of it too is our understanding that you know collaboration and teamwork um are really where kids should be at and the whole sort of inquiry and engineering design process that we're sort of bringing into the science classrooms I'm dying to see, to be honest, where that's going to go. I'm really curious to see. Like I, like I said, I think right now we're maybe other places are in a leisure phase, but I think we're in a very early implementation phase uh, or early phase of the implementation. And um, I'll be really, really curious to see where that goes. And, and I'm just curious how, how much more things are going to change. I really think things are going to change a lot in the next 10 years. And um, I expect to be around for about 10 more years or so. So um, I'll be curious to see how, you know, how how sort of my job changes and how our students' job changes. You know what I mean? Like everybody's role is changing slightly. And, um, and I think for the better, to be honest. Yeah. And, you know, you were saying earlier about how, you know, you didn't love um, science in, in school. And you know, for a long time, I was complaining to myself about, you know, I, I didn't love high school biology and I did feel like it was a series of facts and it wasn't very interesting until I went to college and I got to do science. But then for the first, you know, handful of years of my career, I do feel like I very much was, um, I was teaching with an overhead, I was teaching with a like PowerPoint, what my teacher used with an overhead projector. There was very little difference in the presentation, except for I was using a little more technology. Um, Oh, and, I'm, and here I am going to show my age again. You see, I actually used the overhead projector first before we had such things as PowerPoint. PowerPoint was new technology to me at one point. Well, I, and you're absolutely right. Yeah. I stood and I lectured. Yeah. Yeah, and I did too. I, I will say I used, I have, uh, I have binders somewhere that have the old plastic sheets um, that I used to put up with my like two column now. notes. With, and the kids would write those. Uh, write the, I would give them the blank side, the two column notes, and I would pull the sheet down on the overhead projector. Uh, my first couple of years teaching was I'd reveal the words and I would lecture. Um, but that's basically what I learned, how I learned biology. And for the first handful of years, that's what I did. And the labs that I did were those cookbook, uh, you know, cookbook years. But I had I would go to a conference and I'd hear people talking about, you know, science fair and inquiry and project based learning and that sort of thing. But it it was very much noise. Um, and now I feel like we actually have standards and we have community conversations about this thing. And it's not just the rare, weird person off in the corner saying, look, we should do project based learning. But it's that sort of everyone sort of coming to a consensus of or maybe not everyone, but certainly a, a plurality of us are starting to have these conversations about how the world is different and we can't just put our head in the sand and we, we want our students to be ready for jobs that don't exist yet. So we need to teach differently for a different world and i think you know our new standards are going to push the people who don't want to change um it's almost going to force the change it's going to push them in that direction and i you know what i'm sort of hoping and i'm still working with the teachers obviously because it's all new but i'm hoping that people 
sort of see beyond the standards and see into the skills and see into that it's really not about the content anymore. Like that, that, that still has its role, don't get me wrong, but it's not just the content. It really is what the kids can do as a result of the content, you know, certainly expose them to that, but it's what they can now do afterwards. And uh, there's no doubt that has changed like I look at myself now as a teacher and not that I'm saying I'm a great teacher because I'm certainly not. <laughs> um, but when I look at how bad I was once, um, you know, it's suffice it to say I've improved. I'll go with that. Yeah. Well, I, you know, and I was, I said this to somebody earlier, um, I, you know, and I would say, you know, it's not that you were bad. It's just that you were teaching in a different system. Like you were working at honing a craft of, of that where where content was the was the one and only thing where we were judged by our our ability was to transmit you know that empty vessel uh, methodology where the kid was the empty vessel and we had to fill the empty vessel with content, um, and we we understand that's not the world and that's not the way science should be taught and and now we are we're evolving into uh, you know practitioners that that weigh both the practices and the um, and the content equally. I mean, that's my, I guess my goal. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I actually love saying to the kids occasionally, like we were talking, just, you know, every so often I say, well, back in the day, you know, kids actually had to know these things and they look at me and go, really? They had to learn all those names off by heart? And I go, yeah, they did. And that was 25 years ago, <laughs> you know? And so they, I think they're pretty pleased, some of them, that they're in AP Bio now and not then. Yeah. And I said to my kids, just that, you know, I was just saying that to them the same the same thing this morning. And I was like, yes, we used to cover the whole book. I mean, it wasn't this current edition, but it was pretty close. And we covered yeah. the whole book. When I think about it, it was insanity. You know, 50 plus chapters of, you know, times 25 pages of content. It was insane. Yeah, yeah it really was insane. Yeah. It, it, it was. And it was... Um, I marvel at how amazing my kids were. Like when I first taught, you know, and I came into Brian's system where he he had a he had a down. He had all the PowerPoints. He had all the notes laid out. He had it scheduled out. So, you know, we'd assign this to many chapters over the summer and they'd test them on day two. And that would be how we covered ecology because we couldn't get it all during the year. And and then slam. Con I mean, we just five days of lecture, one day of lab, five days of lecture, one day of lab, you know, test. Um <laughs> And we got no, through and it. I, I use I and I learned from Brian's system too. So and I was right there with you. Absolutely. You know, it's funny. I think the greatest compliment I received was from the teacher who uh, was right next door to me, and she teaches biology and anatomy and physiology. And she said this to me before, but recently she said to me, she said, "You really never lecture anymore." And I was like, "Yahoo! Thanks. I'm so pleased you actually recognize that." And you know, I mean, that's not to say I don't, and I because I still do sometimes. But it's just a, it's just different. The whole approach now is so different. Yeah, I cut my lecture uh, really dramatically in my honors bio class, um, and I'm in the process of doing it with my APs. Uh, I would say that I don't lecture the same way I used to either. So even for the days that I do like PowerPoint, so today I did PowerPoint um, and I put up a PowerPoint slide, but there was no content on it. It was just questions. Um, right. and, and it was a discussion. So, you know, here we were talking about, um, I know we've moved on to our organ organismal biology, which we do plants and animals together. And we talk about some evolutionary themes and some cellular processes. And that's sort of what we're working on right now. Um, and so I was talking just about sort of life cycles and, and chromosome number changes. And that's all they were. There were, it was a series of questions that asked about, you know, the life cycles and the chromosome number changes and, you know, meiosis and mitosis and, and fertilization and, and what was going on with the chromosome numbers. And, you know, it was not, it, I was not lecturing to them about, you know, so after the gametophyte is formed, like none of that, none yeah. of the, none of the life cycle memorization anymore. It was, it was about the processes and linking back and applying the stuff that we talked about earlier in the year. So, um, no, absolutely. But I think part of it too is I still use the PowerPoints as a resource for the kids you know, they still have them there. I still post them. They're there in drive, in the classroom, wherever. Um, but it's even when I do sort of fly through some slides, it's really, they've already reviewed them. We've done our pogo. We've had our conversations. I've, you know, we've had different questions about different things. And now I sort of, you know, 
they give me what their questions are. I usually send them home to them. They have to create what we call our sticky note questions. And then they come back in and I say, oh, so these are the questions. And then I might zip to a few slides and say, oh, so slide 15, let me pull this one up because I think this is really going to address the question. And then we all talk about the question kind of thing. You know, and so I still use them as a resource, but just not in the same way. I don't start at the beginning and go to the end the way I used to. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I'm starting. I think I've, I've figured out how to do that in my honors. The AP is next on that. Um, you mentioned Pogel just a minute. Did have you ever gone through any of the the Pogel workshops? Um, you know, learning all the different roles yeah, and that stuff. I, think, I feel like I went to one at NABT. I feel like I went to one of the Pogel workshops. I was actually using them before I went to the workshop because some of our ninth grade biology teachers had come across it for bio one, we'll say. And then I discovered, oh, there's a little set of these for um, AP bio. And um, after after I'd actually started using only a couple, um, I went to the Pogel workshop. I feel like it was at NABT recently. Yeah, I because um, they also do three day workshops in the summer. Um, unfortunately, oh, unfortunately, really? unfortunately, the closest one they're coming to us is is Maryland, um, <laughs> and that's, that's not gonna work probably. <laughs> that's in middle of July. Well, I'm I might make it work. So that's that's on my potential list is is going down to Maryland to go to that because uh, it's like like you we've used a couple of them. Um, you know, similar like you know I've I've got the I've got actually both resources um, the the biology one and the AP biology one, I have both of them. Um, and we've looked at them. I just, I feel like uh, I want to do two things. One, I want to, I want to hear the system. I want to learn the system and I want to get a, a ground up sense of it. Cause I feel like when I look at them, I'm missing some piece of that picture. Um, and then they, the one that I'm looking at going to, you can learn to write them. You can learn to write out series. Nice. And then, yeah. I'd actually love to be able to edit them a little bit because sometimes there's some questions I go, mm, yeah, not quite working for me. But um, generally, I think it's really easy to fall into the trap with them um, and use them as sort of an assignment or a worksheet. Yeah. Um, that's not what they're supposed to be. I mean, the idea is the kids are supposed to be having conversations. They are supposed to be working their way through them. Now, I have to be honest and say that on occasion I have said, yeah, do that poker before we start, whatever it is, you know, we're about to start kind of thing. Um, but my understanding is it really is about the process, the kids engaging in the material and having conversations with each other and working through, uh, you know, the questions and the, we'll say, different sort of case scenarios that are put in front of them. Yeah. And I use them, when I use them, I teach them as a, I often use them more in review. Like we've gone over a concept and they should understand these and then have the conversations about them. But I, I don't feel like I'm utilizing them the best possible way. And like you said, you know, if you if you don't want to lecture, there are other ways of getting students to engage with material uh, in a productive way. And then you can formatively probe and see, oh, where are you missing the ideas? Right. And, and then if you've right. got to do some reteaching or you need to cover back a concept or, or add another activity, um, I still feel like, you know, over the last few years, I think that we went through this this period, and I can only speak to sort of what I see around me in my high school, of we had these PowerPoint lectures, and then we learned about all these labs and activities and that sort of thing, and we never got rid of the PowerPoint lectures. We would do the PowerPoint lectures and we would do the activity. Um, and the truth is, is that if we have an activity that addresses the standards, if why are we doing the lecture at all? Yeah. And yeah. What, what I found is I, I find that, you know, this is sometimes teachers like, well, but the kids need this direct instruction. The answer is no, they don't. But if what you do is you do these activities and then you never hold them accountable for any of the content of it and then you never probe on how effective it is and then you lecture afterwards, what is their incentive to be fully engaged in the learning process of the activity? Oh, absolutely. No, and I totally agree with you. I mean, I, I'm constantly saying that to myself and I ha I can't say I've implemented it anywhere near as well as I should have or even at all in some instances, but I'm always saying that, like, why did I do that? Why didn't I just flip it around? And when I say flip it around, I mean, let the kids get there on their own. Mm -hmm. Like I was observing some chemistry teachers recently and they had some lovely demonstrations of all these great, um, you know, the, what is it, the five types of chemical reactions. And they were lovely and it was great and all the rest of it. But I had this conversation with them afterwards and I said, you know, when we get to this next year, let's change that. Let's have stations. Let have, let's have the kids do the reactions. Let's have them determine sort of what happened. Was it a single replacement? Was it a double replacement? I mean, they won't use that terminology, but that's okay. But let them sort of work out, you know, what do we start with and what do we end with? 
what was the reaction? Was it decomposition and so on? I said, and then afterwards, you can talk about, oh, when that happens, we call it a single replacement reaction and so on. And, um, you know, it's funny, I, I to your point, I really think my way of thinking is changing a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't say I've implemented it to the degree I'd like to, but I'm definitely thinking about it more. And so I'm hoping, you know, going back to your question, like um, what do I hope will change or what am I looking forward to in my classroom or all classrooms? I'm hoping that, like if there was anything else that that the things that I'm thinking about that I'll actually bring to fruition in my classroom and that I'll really go forward and spend the time, you know, have a couple of PBL units and, you know, and have the kids get there themselves and make it really more meaningful. That's awesome. That's awesome. All right. We've talked a ton about the classroom. So before we get to picks of the week, I am going to ask you, what do you like to do when you are not teaching? Oh, what do I like to do when I'm not teaching? Uh, I love reading. Mm Mm-hmm. I like drinking wine. Uh, I like drinking wine on the front porch. I actually did that before our conversation this evening. I came home and said to my husband, you know, it's beautiful out. We can get 20 minutes out on the front porch. Um, I love to garden. Um, you know, it's funny. You're going to laugh. Now I'm showing my age. I'm coming out of the other side, sort of kids. I'm about to come out sort of on the other side of having kids. And um, I think I'm hitting a point in life where I'm going to start working out what it is I like to do again. You know, apart from those things that I've always liked to do, you know, what other things would I like to do um, now that I might occasionally have some free time? Um, but reading is huge. I, I, I read at lunch every day. That's what I do. I eat my lunch and I jump on Twitter or I jump on the, you know, my inbox and see what's come in and I read. Yeah. Yeah, no, reading is a, is a common theme. I wish I was a faster reader. That's my... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> that's that's my personal complaint but um i i i am not on the other side so i probably don't read as much as uh as some people um <laughs> but uh yeah cuz my kids are my oldest went to high school orientation uh yesterday um no way you somebody going to high school oh that's ne- awesome i didn't ne- realize that next year yeah my youngest is uh my youngest is in 4th grade my oldest is in uh is in 8th so we'll have a high schooler and a 5th grader next year and in my head, you still have little toddlers. Somehow <laughs> in my head, it's not funny. <laughs> yeah, well, that's that's sort of where I say, you know, like I think when we had that first workshop, which would have been six or seven years ago, you know, my my youngest would have been, you know, one, two, three in that ballpark, depending on how many years ago it was. And um, yeah, it was it was it was a long time ago. I'm sure I'm sure I could go through yeah, pictures and figure out exactly where it was. But yeah, no, the the high school the high schooler is actually taller than me now, so. Um, uh, oh no way yeah he'll turn 14 he'll get officially uh-huh. measured but i figured it out the other day when we were walking uh we were walking next to each other and i was like yeah he's taller than me now yeah, he hasn't made a big deal out of it yet but um i have a feeling on his birthday when he gets measured he's gonna realize wait a minute <laughs> that's oh, a, yeah, that's will. that's a quarter you know, inch half inch you're taller than dad <laughs> our son is about six one and greg is about oh i don't know five ten five eleven and john loves the fact that he's taller than greg loves it yeah <laughs> Yeah, I don't. I don't think I'll get this lauded over him. I, I tell him I, I've got him by weight, and I will for many, many years. So, um. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah, we have the same situation here. <laughs> so, uh, before we get to picks, do you have any uh, any questions for me? Yeah, I'm sort of curious about. Um, you were talking about what you know, what's what prompts your summer R and D or your summer PD, and I'm curious, you know, or you were asking me what prompts mine. I'm curious, like, what prompts yours? Yeah. Um, so I have a couple, I think similar to what you said, I have a, a couple of sort of running themes that I like. Um, uh, I like when I get to go and do research. So uh, any type of workshop where I can go in and get my hands you know, dirty in a lab, I, I totally would gravitate towards that. Um, so I look for you know summer research opportunities and that sort of thing. Um, there, there's not many of those, but I keep an eye out. Um, and then I sort of have a couple of other things I look for. I look for, do I have any friends who are running any workshops? Um, and so I have a, a couple of people who I've, I've met over the last couple of years who um, are running a, um, an AP workshop this summer. And I'm thinking about going to that, but that would be, you know, fee out of pocket and I would have to travel for that. And then similarly, the Pogel is something I've been wondering about. So sort of curiosities that are in the back of my mind again money out of my pocket and <laughs> some time to travel uh, out there. Right. Um, and then I think we're also fortunate in this area that we have a lot of f- uh, free workshops and if not if not paid workshops. 
um, in the Boston area for experienced teachers. Um, so I, you know, I, I sort of, this is the time of year where I just start asking the question, what's out there? And then the next question is, okay, where do I get my biggest bang for my buck? Where do I get the best translation to my classroom? Um, what's gonna, um, you know, I, I have different things. I mean, it's like everybody else. I have different goals, uh, year in, year out. Um, I've really been big on this, like get in the classroom in a student centered mindset, which is, I think why the Pogel is right now that is that that flashing light for me um over some other things um and then you know the the truth is is that you know we talk about ap and you're right i i have a wonderful uh ap colleague uh, don't don't anyone tell him i said that uh but uh, <laughs> i have this wonderful i have this wonderful colleague who i work with and you know we are very fortunate um we are very much um it's funny. Some people who meet us think that we are of one mind entirely. In fact, we are of totally, completely different minds. Um, we have a different tempo to us. We have we see the world in a very different way. But we've worked together for so long that we're very complementary. Um, you know, I was right. I, I was just talking to somebody who we uh, you know that Brian and I know in common. It's a it's a professor who we work with um, and share some resource with resources with us. And he had asked both of us a question. And Brian gave a fairly conservative answer and I gave a very aggressive, like, yeah, yeah, we can meet this timeline kind of like we gave the total opposite answers. Uh, and his, and the professor's response was, was, well, that's why you guys make a good team. Um, and it's completely right. Um, with that said, I still want to get out and hear from what other AP teachers are doing. I, I still feel like even though I have got this great resource, it still is an echo chamber. It's a, an echo chamber of two as opposed to, you know, just the echo chamber of one that some right. AP teachers have. So um, I am I'm a little bit feeling like I kind of want to get out there and see where how the needle has moved for other AP teachers because I haven't done an AP Institute since before the before the change. Um, I did my... Oh, yeah. Yeah, I did my my AP training the summer, but so the a, a year and a, basically a full year before the change. So I got sort of both of them. I got the traditional training of the old right. system, but I also got the new standards and how things were going to change. So I learned a little bit. But now that we've now been running this for a few years, and there's been a lot of people out there running, um, going to an AP institute where a lot of other teachers have been working with this and they've sort of made their own meaning. I think there'd be good value in that. So. Yeah, I went to the Mimsy one a couple of summers ago. Yeah. Um, Jim, and I can't think of his last name, ran it. And then Elizabeth Cowles ran the other one. I was in Jim's, and I don't know why his last name has escaped me. He was outstanding. Um, he was really outstanding. I, It was really for new teachers. And, and I knew that going into it. And I was one of the few, would say, experienced AP teachers um, there. Um uh, I, I felt so bad for the new teachers who didn't know what they were getting into. But uh -huh. um, I, I have to say, I took, I, I feel I took away a lot. Like personally, I, it wasn't so much as I learned things as I just got time to think and watch and sort of develop a different perspective, I suppose, you know? Yeah. Reflection. Um, yeah. yeah. Re reflection. So, I mean, <laughs> I've been, I, I've actually been keeping, um, I don't know if you know, uh, bullet journaling, um, if you've ever come across anybody no. who does that, it's basically like, uh, you know, I, I basically have a, an empty notebook that I, I create my weekly schedules in. Um, but, you know, it's for a lot more other things. People track goals and stuff like that. But I've specifically set space aside in it this year uh, for um, for journaling, um, journaling about different ideas and journaling about different thoughts. And um, and it's been so I you know, I'm not a journaler by nature. It's just not something I do. I know there are people who write all the time, uh, but I've been intentionally making sure a couple times a month I, I pick a topic and I write about it. Uh, and that reflection is, is so important. Uh, I think that's what we get out of workshops that, you know, it's sometimes that thing we have a hard time putting our finger on it. Like, what did you get out of this? Well, you know, I didn't really get this resource or that, right. But I thought about what it is I do. And I had a quiet time where I was thinking about what I do in reflection yeah. to this other thing. And yeah, it's, it's transformative to reflect on what you do. Oh, absolutely. I have this amazing um, middle school principal who sends out this blog kind of every week. And then I respond to all sorts of different pieces and probably drive him absolutely crazy. Uh, so much so that he keeps telling me, you really should blog. I think because he's tired of getting my big long emails where essentially I just dump all my thoughts. I mean, you're absolutely right. But I think writing them gives you the chance to sort of put them together and make them a little bit more coherent. Yeah. Yeah. 
All right. So we're going to get to picks of the week. I think I have to, I'm going to limit you. You're going to have okay. to pick just a couple. <laughs> I asked for picks of the oh. week and, and Orla gave me a phone book. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> so Orla, uh, what would like to share a couple of picks of the week? Okay. So I think probably my favorite was this TED talk. And actually I, I shouldn't say it was a pick of this week per se, because I've seen it before, but somebody sent it to me again. And just recently, just this past week, and it was uh, Naomi Oresk. I'm not sure if I'm saying her name right, but it was a TED talk about why we should uh, believe in science. And she went back to, you know, Copernicus and worked her way through Galileo and right up to modern day and just talked about um, the importance of students understanding, or not students understanding, students not believing scientists, not taking it on face value and realizing that, um, you know, scientists don't just sort of make you know, make statements and throw out um, pieces of information. They've actually worked hard to find evidence to support what they're saying and make sure that the evidence does in fact support what they're saying before they will say publicize it. And I talked about that whole process of, you know, um, peer review and all that kind of stuff, uh, which I think is very important, especially in our climate nowadays, um, for kids to hear and think about. Yeah, that's that sounds, I mean, the word belief has is such a loaded term. So I'm sure it was very intentionally selected. Oh, I would imagine very <laughs> intentionally selected. Absolutely. All right. I'm going to ask you about another one of your picks because uh, you, okay. you put another one in there about, uh, and it's just because it's so on topic for what we were talking about, uh, gamifying your PD. Uh, yeah. This was really cool. I don't know if you know this guy, AJ Giuliani. I follow him on Twitter and I get his um, posts into my inbox, his blog all the time. And this was sort of neat. I think it was neat for me because um, I'm in a workshop. Well, it's a three-day workshop that's going over a span of like six weeks or something. Um, and it's talking about, you know, hyperdocking, you know, creating hyperdocs where kids can sort of traverse through some skills and content as they need to. So it's sort of individualizing the learning process using hyperdocs. And this reminded me of it a lot today because it was this whole idea of setting up sort of badges and levels for people to access technology. It was specifically, I think, talking about technology, but I think you could take it anywhere you want it. So it was this whole idea of, um, you know, let's say like you were doing the Google level education, you know, level one education or level two, and you get your little badge afterwards. It was this whole idea of teachers accessing things as they need and where they need. So it wasn't a one size fits all. Oh, we all go and learn about Google Classroom. Well, half the faculty already knows how to use Google Classroom and are using Google Classroom and have been using Google Classroom, we'll say, for the last year. And every time there's a new update, they're the first adopters, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. But yet they have to sit through the same PD. So it was that whole idea of, you know, individualizing instruction. I mean, really, that's what it was about. And um, I think the gamifying piece was, do I necessarily need it? Not particularly, but I think it could be attractive to a lot of people. That whole idea of working your way, um, you know, and, and self-directed learning, you know. Yeah, it's funny because I think um, I, I, you know, I've, I work with a mentoring program and a few years ago, one of the one of the offshoots of it uh, did this thing where they people could earn badges um, to if they did certain tasks and they were playing around with that. And there definitely is a subset of people who like that gamification of being able to like, oh, I attended this meeting. And so I got this badge and I accumulate this badge yes. and I've got this this thing. And, you know, um, they at the time said that it was uh, generational. They tried the people who were running the piece, like attributed it to being like it's a millennial thing. And I was like, no, I just think it's a I think there's a personality type. Um, yeah. that it totally appeals to, uh, that sort of personality type that if you're the kind of person who like, likes to get little, you know, tokens and badges and can have your little sort of PD certificate that's got, you know, you know, four levels or whatever, I think it, it appeals to people like that. Um, so it's, it's an interesting idea. I, th I thought it was fascinating. Yeah, I thought it was too. I sent, I actually, we have a PD committee going on in our school, in our school system right now with the superintendent and a couple of principals and one of our science teachers is on it. So I sent it to them um, today saying, hey, you know, just a thought, you know, just an approach. That's all. Oh, very cool. All right. So as I alluded to earlier, my pick of the episode is going to be uh, ideas for citizen science project. Uh, so, um, citizen science project. So this was the theme of our, 
uh, Massachusetts Association uh, of Biology Teachers meeting, um, this one, which I, again, can't say enough really nice things about it, not only the conversations, but the overall theme. I thought it was really cool. Um, but uh, yeah, it was it was very cool. And so one of the things that was shared was uh, Science Discover uh, is a website, or sorry, Students Discover. Um, I don't know if you've had a chance to check any of these out. I had a quick look this afternoon when I saw it. I didn't really look too too far, to be honest. Um, but I saw that clearly it looked pretty comprehensive insofar as there were lesson plans provided if you wanted that. Um, there were all sorts of sort of avenues that kids could investigate, it looked like. Yeah, and they're both middle and high school level. Um, so there's a nice mix in there. Uh, so a couple of the ones yeah. that popped out for me was uh, a diversity of guts. Um, this is a thing where you, when you um, do uh, specimen dissections, uh, which we still do specimen dissections in my honors biology class, um, students can actually collect data about the specimens, like how long are the intestines or other things like that. And then it can um, collect that and upload it. Um, into a databank um, and they can select like where did they get it from and that sort of thing. So there's this um, sort of little citizen science, but also data collection that connects to um, to some dissection pieces. Um, and then the belly button diversity uh, is like taking swabs of belly buttons and sending those off. Um, and then invisible pathogens is similar where you take ants and you have them walk over an agar and you send that agar off. So just sort of interesting ideas. Um, as I mentioned earlier, I also teach an alternative program, and I'm always looking for sort of uh, themes or ideas or interesting ideas to build off of. And um, I've done a couple of citizen science projects with them in the past as sort of a, an overarching theme that sort of gave me a jumping off point to attack different curriculum. Um, I did Project Feeder Watch from Cornell that way. Um, and it's a really, you know, I find these types of projects are really good um, engagement points, um, particularly with maybe students who don't engage in traditional uh, learning as well. Although I'm curious about trying some of these with my with my high flyers as well. I bet they'd love it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a, I'm going to investigate this uh, a diversity of guts a little bit more because we're going to be doing dissections. Yeah, I'm going to tell our anatomy and physiology teacher who also teaches honors bio about this because I think she will absolutely love that. Yeah. So I'm going to look at that because I think we're doing dissections right after we get back from uh, April break. Uh, we usually do them in the week or two after that. I haven't really thought that far in advance. Um, <laughs> I, I should. I'm in charge of that unit, of those units, but I have not. I just haven't gotten there yet. So, uh, but that's it's on my to do list. So, yeah. <laughs> I should be. Uh, I, I I will. I get part of me has been like uh, they said this is going to come out after NSTA, and so much of my mental energy has been just getting myself to NSTA. Um, and I've had like a lot of things going on the last couple of months. But once we get back from NSTA, I'm going to have this. I, I have to start thinking a little bit long term because th we're going to come back and I've got like n like a cliff. I've had nothing planned for afterwards. So I'm going <laughs> to. <laughs> well, at least AP Bio will be winding down at that stage, maybe. You know? Well, yeah, that stuff is the AP Bio is a that's all all set through the end. I uh, I'm on almost on autopilot with them now. Nice. Um, but uh, the but the honors bio people, they they actually have a legit three months left. So um, yeah, they do. And if we have any more snow days, uh, who knows? So, yeah, no kidding. So oh, I just got my dates on another note. I just got my dates for my Galapagos trip. I leave on June 23rd. Oh, you're another one. Congratulations. Yes, I'm bringing 35 students. Oh, you're taking kids. I'm taking kids. Yeah, yeah. I'm taking kids. My first time there. So I'm taking kids. We'll see what it's like. Um, I'm bringing four other teachers, myself. Actually, none of them are science. Well, one is a science teacher. Uh, chemistry teacher but the rest are not purposefully in fact and um we're going off to the Galapagos for nine days wow that's amazing yeah yeah I'm really I have to say I'm really looking forward to it uh, rightfully so yeah I uh, I toyed with the idea a few years ago I think my wife would kill me if I went to the Galapagos without her so I think if I <laughs> if I ever go it's it's going to be at least the two of us if not the whole family is going there oh nice good for you so, that'd be awesome someday well, Orla, this was uh, hopefully this was nice and painless uh, for you. Um, <laughs> yeah, so it was uh, wonderful for you to join me. Thank you so much. Um, let me give my credits. Uh, so music for this and every episode is provided by uh, Jake Jenkins and Ex-Magicians. Uh, you can download this podcast anywhere podcasts are found, uh, iTunes, uh, SoundCloud, Stitcher. 
um, or most podcasting apps. Uh, you can get show notes on lifeoftheschool.org. Uh, you can also give feedback there, or you can give feedback um, to me at Mr. Matthew Tweets or at Life of the School. Um, you can also follow uh, Medfield Science, right? It's at Medfield Science. It is. Uh, if you want to see the comings and goings of what's going on at the high school, particularly within the science department uh, at Medfield High. So thank you again, Orla, and I will talk to everybody soon. Great. Thanks for having me. I enjoyed it.